Welcome to the Mary's Cup of Tea podcast. I'm your host, Mary Jolkowski. I'm an author, speaker, and all-around self-love advocate. And this is the podcast that'll inspire you to love yourself. Hello, my self-lovers. Before we dive into today's podcast episode, I want to make sure that you're giving yourself the gift of self-love. Now, if you don't know what the gift of self-love is, it's a workbook that will help you build confidence, recognize your worth, and learn to finally love yourself. And it's now available in stores and online worldwide. Oh my goodness, I've been waiting to say that because I've been working on this book for years. I poured my heart and soul into it, compiling everything that I teach at my retreats and putting it into this heartfelt, relatable, and actionable workbook for you. The cool thing is this book is a combination of me sharing my life story and everything that's helped me on this self-love journey, including body acceptance. And it's a workbook that you can actually write in. So every single thing that I share, you can put into practice right away. There are quizzes, journal prompts, self-reflection exercises, self-love challenges, all of which will help you with body image, confidence, self-worth, and self-love. I'm holding it right here. It's right in front of me and it's absolutely gorgeous. Not to toot my own horn or anything, but we've nailed the design on this one. It makes such a wonderful gift both for yourself and for your loved ones. Perhaps you have a friend that could really use this message and that, you know, needs a little push, loving push in the right direction. And I think that this book is just a great gift. Hence, the gift of self-love. So if you haven't gotten it yet, you can get it today by going to maryscupoftea.com slash book. I'm certain that the tools I share in this book will change your life as much as they've changed mine. So again, that's maryscupoftea.com slash book and give yourself the gift of self-love. Hey, my self-lovers, welcome to another episode of the Mary's Cup of Tea podcast. Today's episode is an interview with Whitney Goodman, who is the radical, honest psychotherapist behind the popular Instagram account at SitWithWit, who you probably follow. If you don't, you should. And she's also the owner of Collaborative Counseling Center, a private therapy practice in Miami. She helps individuals and couples heal past wounds and create the life they've always wanted. Her work has been featured in dozens of publications and programs, including the New York Times, Teen Vogue, New York Magazine, InStyle, Good Morning America, amongst many others. She also has a new book called Toxic Positivity, which is the inspiration behind this conversation. And you guessed it, it is all about toxic positivity. It's now available everywhere books are sold, so I highly recommend picking it up. In this podcast episode, we talk a lot about what is toxic positivity and why it's so harmful. And Whitney's book goes more into depth as to what is a better way to approach situations of hurt and pain and confusion and chaos and all the different range of emotions that we feel as human beings. And because of our culture, we just tend to invalidate all of that. And especially recently, I think that it's just with the self-help world, it's become so popular to say things like, just be grateful, be positive, no good vibes only, you know, live, laugh, love, that kind of stuff. So we poke fun at that world. And also Whitney offers a very incredibly insightful and valid critique as to why this is so damaging to our mental health. Whitney also lives in Miami with her husband and their two dogs, Luna and Charlie. I just needed to mention that because Charlie was my childhood dog's name and her son who was just born last year. 
Whitney is super real and relatable and open, which is so refreshing, especially coming from a therapist. There's this kind of general consensus that therapists can't have thoughts or feelings and must be a blank slate for their clients. And Whitney really defies that with boundaries, of course. So her whole Instagram page is super insightful and she's also very personable. In this episode, like I mentioned earlier, we talk about toxic positivity and especially the different areas that it shows up in. So some of the areas we dive into is like religion, saying things like, you know, God has a plan or the workplace and how all of that has been mismanaged during the coronavirus crisis in health and wellness. Like if somebody falls ill or gets some kind of terminal illness and how the attitude in our society is usually like, fight it, you're stronger than this, da da da, da without really acknowledging the pain and, and the fear that goes into that. And also grief, which of course is a big heavy one, but I really wanted Whitney to talk about it because I know so many of us have experienced loss and grief in our lives and we can never cope with it unless we acknowledge it and name it for what it is and know how to hold space for ourselves and each other through that process. And of course, we talk about the antidote to toxic positivity and what we can replace it with. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Whitney Goodman. Hi, Whitney. Welcome to the Mary's Cup of Tea podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I believe you're only the second therapist I've ever had on the show in my two years of doing this podcast, which is wild because I talk about my own therapy journey all the time. So note to self, more therapists, but also so excited (laughs) that you're here. That's very exciting. I'm happy to be the second. (laughs) I'm just curious, like on a personal note, why did you decide to become a psychotherapist? So my story is not very exciting. I think I always wanted to work with people, help people. I definitely loved giving advice when I was younger, which is not really what I do now. But after I graduated with a bachelor's in sociology, which I could do nothing with, I started Googling different grad school programs. And I loved the curriculum and the idea of becoming a therapist. And I went straight into that at like... 21 years old. So I haven't done anything else. And I've, I've really loved it. I'm glad I ended up in a place that was right for me. What do you like about it? I really love getting to know people on a really intimate level. I'm one of those people that likes to talk about serious things all the time. And I also just love hearing why people do what they do or the, the analytical side of that. I find it really interesting. Mm. I also know that your approach is a little bit different because you pride yourself on just the transparency and humanity that a lot of therapists don't really embody just because they don't want to project on their client or patient or don't want to share any personal experiences that may sway them. Is your approach a little bit different? Yeah, I noticed, you know, when I got into the field, I think because I was a lot younger than a lot of like my professors or people doing it as a second career, that there was a lot of discomfort around showing up as a real person in the therapy room. And people who are like millennials, you know, Gen Z, I think we're a lot more comfortable being open with our lives, whether it's on the internet or with other people. And it was hard for me to not let that part of my personality show in the therapy room. And so I decided just to kind of go with what felt better 
for me. And that doesn't mean I share a lot of details about my life, but I'm certainly not a blank slate. And I try to be more honest and and open with the client. Do you let your clients like follow you on Instagram? So my professional Instagram, they can. I have like a personal account that I don't really use and nobody follows me on there, but like family. Um, I never follow a client back or look at their Instagram. And honestly, I don't really know which of my clients are following me unless they tell me or they bring it up in session, which does happen sometimes, but not all the time. Yeah. I'm just so curious because my therapist is totally off social media. Like for her to see anything social media related, I have to send it to her specifically, which is also really, really nice because my whole life is on social media. And I would probably feel a little bit uncomfortable if there was even the prospect of her seeing it. So I just always find it so interesting how how we grapple with the boundaries between like online and real life, especially in a professional setting and an intimate one at that. For sure. I don't think I would want to see any of my clients online presence because it would make it harder for me to just be like with them in the session and what they're bringing. I would have like another view of them. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So when did you decide to start posting on the internet? And was it when you were already a therapist or kind of like during grad school? And when did it really take off for you? Yeah, I started posting after I graduated a couple of years after when I wanted to go into private practice. And I was like, oh, this will be a good way for me to market my business. Everybody told me I was crazy. No one would want to follow a therapist. And I think I got in right at the time before this all took off. And now it feels like every therapist is kind of on the internet, except maybe yours. (laughs) And I started to see it blow up actually with this toxic positivity post that I created. I think it was in 2018 that was the first time I started to get some traction and my account really grew. And from there, now it's become like one of the main aspects of my business. What did you post in that toxic positivity? Was it like a carousel post? I think I remember it. There was a chart. Yeah. It was a chart that was basically just like toxic positivity is what I called it on one side. And I put a bunch of those phrases that now we've seen me post about a bunch of times. And on the other side, I did like validation and hope or something and a list of things that you could say instead. And that was the first time I really had people really arguing with me on the internet too, or being like, this is crazy. Those things aren't bad. Was that what most people were saying? No, it was certainly like a lot more praise than negative responses, but I was very uncomfortable with getting like any type of criticism on the internet at that time. Mm. So how did you handle it or what came after that? My instinct at the time was definitely to want to like convince people why I was right. And this is something that's actually Instagram has been pivotal in helping me get over is that instead of like wanting to convince people or argue with them, I'm kind of just like, oh, it's not for them and I'm able to move on. But before I would want to ask them like, why doesn't this make sense to you? What is confusing? What seems crazy? And try to like talk them through it. And a lot of the time, you know, when people comment things like that, they really just want to argue. They don't want to learn anything. Yeah. And I think, especially at the time, I mean, things have changed so much in just three years, but three years ago was, I would say like the height before it broke of 
you know, self-help culture and just being really like that whole like hustle and grind and bettering yourself and staying positive and cut out toxic people and all of that before it really, really came crashing down, I think in 2020, because we were all in crisis mode. And so, so true. that was just no longer feasible. But I can really, really see just the, the heightened criticism of that post, even though I'm sure most people also related to it. Yeah, absolutely. There was still that feeling. And I think some people are still holding on to that really tightly that like, this is going to be the thing that saves me. Like they drank the Kool-Aid of the positivity, hustle culture, all that movement. And it can be really hard to let go of that belief. It becomes almost like a cultish mindset. I think that's hard to move out of. For sure. Yeah. And there's so much cultish mindsets right now with the internet and a lot of new research coming out about just how certain ideas, whether they're positive or negative on the surface, when taken into like this mob culture and just when they get exploited in that way, they just become harmful to all of us. So true. You can see it in so many facets of life. It's kind of scary. (laughs) It really is. Why did you decide to make that post? Like if you were to flashback, was it something that you saw in a patient or was it something that was just driving you crazy? Like what inspired you to make that graphic? So it was definitely something that was driving me crazy when I got on Instagram. I was seeing this stuff everywhere and I'm like, oh my gosh, if my clients are seeing this, they're going to feel pretty bad. And so I went on Pinterest actually, and I was saving all of these, like what I would call now toxic positivity quotes. I have like a board on my Pinterest full of them. So it kind of looks like I'm obsessed with these quotes, (laughs) but really it was just uh, research. And through that, I started talking to my own clients about it and really like listening out for times that they were mentioning this stuff. And I started to realize, okay, this isn't a me thing. Like a lot of people feel like this, but they're almost afraid to talk about it publicly. And I know I was, I was afraid of being called negative or, you know, dragged to be around whatever. And once I created the post, I was like, oh my gosh, we're on to something here. And I kind of want to keep talking about this. Yeah, it was definitely a breath of fresh air. Like, especially because it came before the pandemic and you really developed the concept, not, sorry, in the best way possible. It just really like caught on because so many people related to it. And now because we know the warning signs of toxic positivity, which I would love for you to speak on, like what are the red flags? Yeah. So the thing I always like to point out is that positivity is not toxic. It becomes toxic, right? And that's when we use phrases or certain types of support at the wrong time with the wrong topic and the wrong audience. And in my book, I identify a couple of like big ticket situations where positivity isn't particularly helpful. And some of those are like, grief and loss, infertility, illness, disability, racism, sexism, et cetera. So thinking about these really difficult issues where if we respond to somebody with uh, everything happens for a reason or just be positive in those moments, it can be really dismissive and toxic for them. But toxic positivity is also like this overarching pressure that we feel to be 
happy all the time, no matter what, and always be pursuing happiness, no matter what the circumstances are. Mm, I could not agree with you more. I'm also a little bit biased because one of my favorite podcast episodes and most popular ones was just like a 10 minute solo one that I did talking about how like chasing happiness is what makes you unhappy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) And the more we try to be happy, the more we feel like we're lacking happiness because it's also so fleeting and life isn't supposed to be happy all the time. And I I invited the listeners of this podcast to talk about how they could create more meaning in their life instead. So that was kind of like my antidote to that. Do you have one of those that you like invite people to shift into? Yeah. So one of my favorite things that I think is the antidote for toxic positivity is something called radical acceptance, which is a part of DBT therapy developed by Marsha Linehan. And and in that, you're really acknowledging what your reality is, acknowledging that there are parts of it you don't want to accept or that you want to change, and trying to look at what do I have control over? What do I not have control over? What do I need to accept? And when we do that, we're able to see that there's good, bad, and neutral in almost all situations. And there are 10 steps to practicing radical acceptance that can be super helpful. I also love that you mentioned, you know, the antidote is not looking for happiness all the time. And I think that we can find fulfillment and live in line with our values instead of trying to be happy all the time, because no emotion can be present all day, every day. We don't want that. Exactly. Exactly. You mentioned these different areas that you talk about in the book where toxic positivity is super prominent. And I love the ones you pointed out. I actually wrote down a couple that stood out to me. And this is something my audience has been asking for a podcast-specific topic on, but perhaps you can touch on it, is religion. Totally. Yeah, I actually did a post on this the other day about toxic positivity and religion. And and that's actually where this positivity culture got started. Religion, of course, used to be the main cultural force in our society, especially in the United States. So it's not surprising that it got started there. And we hear a lot of these quotes that are like, God will never give you more than you can handle. They're in a better place now. You know, let go and let God. And it's kind of this belief of like, whatever you're feeling, you need to get over it because there's a reason for it or there's a higher power that's behind it and something good is going to come from it. And it's really dismissive when you think about it and really unhelpful. Yeah. I also loved your video kind of branching off of that where you were talking about how everything happens for a reason is not helpful in the moment and is so hurtful because there are these big things like the loss of a child, illness, grief, assault, like so many things that I'm sorry, but there is no reason. And our brains just try to give it a reason, especially what stood out to me in that video, because I'm one of those people that says everything happens for a reason. But I think what you you so eloquently stated is that it's helpful if you're saying it about yourself in retrospect. Like if you're like talking about your own journey and you're like, this led me here and now I see that happened for a reason and yada, yada, yada. But it could be so hurtful and harmful if somebody is in the midst of their pain 
and that's what you decide to offer them, you know? Yep, absolutely. It's so different when it comes from you when you have the gift of perspective, right? And you've been able to create your own narrative. But when we tell someone else that and they're not in that place, and they may never be, it can be like, oh my gosh, what could possibly be the reason for this? Especially when we're talking about tragedy and and trauma. Yeah, yeah. And that's so not okay. When I was reading, and I know that the way we speak to others is often telling of the way we speak to ourselves. And one thing I was thinking about is how I feel like I abuse myself with toxic positivity more than I ever do it to anybody else. Do you see that in your patients and clients? Like, I don't know, I feel like I tell myself to get over things and just be grateful and like, you're so privileged and blessed and all of these things are good and that's happening for a reason. Like, I tell myself that so, so much. And I don't know where it comes from. I see this all the time. You know, it's like people will sit down with me in therapy and say like, I know I shouldn't complain, but I know I should be grateful, but, and then they kind of go into these sentences and I'm like, gosh, if you're making these disclaimers in therapy, which is really like the only place you can complain, then you're probably making them everywhere. And I think a lot of that comes from this pressure to constantly feel like shame whenever we're feeling anything quote unquote bad or negative, or we're complaining that we have to like put this disclaimer on it. And it creates a feeling of shame. I think like, I don't know if you've experienced that when you do that to yourself. Yeah, for sure. And I I think actually, as I said, I don't know where it comes from. It hit me that it's definitely like an immigrant parent, first generation American kind of thing, because the narrative is for us immigrant kids. And I'm sure a lot of people would agree with this, but it's like, I had nothing. I fought to get to this country so that you could have all this stuff. And just the other day, this is so funny because you live in Miami, but I got stuck in Miami International and (laughs) the TSA was so mean to me. I literally got harassed and I ran across the airport and missed my flight and I was crying and just having an anxiety attack in the middle of the floor. And this sweet man pet my head and helped me rebook my flight. But when I called my mom to tell her about it, this is okay. I love my mom and we totally laughed about it because this is such a hyperbole that it's funny. But if it was just one degree less exaggerated, it would have been very toxic. But because it was so outrageous, we were cracking up about it. She goes, well, did you hear what's happening in Kazakhstan? And I'm like, no. (laughs) And she's like, there's a revolution in Kazakhstan. You should be grateful that you're not in Kazakhstan right now. And then she goes on about Kazakhstan and totally just changes the subject. And again, because it was such a stretch, it didn't feel, you know, invalidating or toxic. And we literally laughed about it last night at dinner. I'm sure. But a lot of those types of examples I've had throughout my whole life from parents, grandparents, the whole culture alike. And I I see it in my boyfriend's family too. They're from Uzbekistan and like, It's just the whole narrative. And we hear the same story over and over again. The same, I only came with $400 in my pocket. So you could have this life. (laughs) And it's very hard to say that, I don't know, life is so hard or I'm overwhelmed with work or I don't know how to pay my taxes. Like It's so hard to complain about these mundane things when you have parents who 
have gone through so much. And, and I think that's the part where a lot of people struggle with it because they're like, how can I, how do I even have the right to complain when so many people are going through so much worse? And I know you hear this all the time, but I think we could all use the reminder. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, my mom's a first generation American and I hear these stories all the time as well. And I think we have to remember that our lives are not our parents or grandparents' lives. And yes, it's good to have perspective, but sometimes that perspective is like so far off from our reality that it's very hard to integrate. You know, it's like if you have an eating disorder and someone says to you, you know, just eat their starving kids around the world, like those two things can exist at the same time. It's not like because kids are starving, you automatically can just eat. And so remembering that perspective is important, but when you are struggling is not really the best time to engage in that perspective taking. It's easier to validate ourselves and then later maybe be able to say, gosh, you know, I am so fortunate to have all these things. And I had a really terrible day at the airport today. (laughs) And they're both true. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Another area that I wrote down that I think it would be really helpful for people to hear, but toxic positivity in health and like the health and wellness space. Yes, this is a huge one. It's actually where I first like started to notice this in practice. Most of my training was with people with cancer. And there is a huge belief that I still think persists very strongly in a lot of areas of wellness culture that you can heal yourself with your thoughts. And that if you think positively, you will also not get sick. And it's very dangerous thinking that's really not backed up with any research or scientific basis. Mm -hmm. And this has been huge in times of COVID. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So what have you seen and what's your response to that? And what should we remember in those moments? Because again, in times of COVID, I know that sometimes I'm like worried about getting sick and taking precautions. And then I'm like, okay, but wait, good vibes. I only want to be on the frequency of health and wellness. And if I keep thinking I'm going to get sick, then I'm going to get sick. (laughs) Right. And it's very easy to get stuck in that space of like, if I think it, it will become true. And there's some reality to like, our thoughts do impact us. And if you're sitting around telling yourself you're going to get sick all day, every day, that's not productive either. I like to come from the place of like, okay, here's the reality. We're in a pandemic. There are precautions that I can take and there are things I can do to help myself. And everyone has a certain risk tolerance based on their own unique situation, right? Outside of that, I still might be prone to getting sick just because this is really contagious and people that are taking lots of precautions are still sometimes getting sick. And that has nothing to do with you making yourself get sick through your thoughts. Yeah, yeah. I I saw somebody said was like, uh, can't speak, make a sentence, Mary. (laughs) (laughs) I saw something where somebody said like getting COVID is not a moral failure, you know? Yeah, there's a lot of shame associated with it though. Like, did I not do enough? Was I not protecting myself? Did I endanger others? Like, it's really loaded. Yeah, exactly. What I find incredibly grounding about your work is that 
we shift from the toxic positivity side to just like realistic thoughts that just acknowledge the reality of the situation. If it's like a big thing, you know, then it's okay to say that this is a big scary thing or this is a big trauma that I experienced in my life. And if it's a small thing, then still telling yourself that this is still impacting me and I can't help that. And I get to just sit with it until I'm, I don't need to. That's why I love your Instagram name, sit with wit too. Cause Thank I feel like you. it has many different <laughs> connotations, not just, you know, sitting with you in therapy. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. It's important to validate what you're going through and also know that even, you know, times like COVID right now, we can be scared and prepared and taking in all these different like assessments of risk and also allow ourselves to experience joy and fun and and lightness. It doesn't have to be one or the other. Mm -hmm. The COVID humor and the pandemic funnies on the internet have just been saving me. (laughs) I know. All the CDC memes I was loving. I know, me too. And I would never like (laughs) repost them because I don't want people to think that I'm not taking it seriously. But we also all need like a little bit more humor. Like we really, we really can lighten the fuck up without it being toxic. It's so true. The one I did share was like the CDC tells you to like live, laugh, love. I thought that one was amazing (laughs) and on brand. (laughs) So perfect. Did you see the one where the graph looked like the emoji with its hands up? Like, I don't know. (laughs) That one sent me. That was so good. I think this next one's important. Toxic positivity in the area of the workplace, especially for my people who work for someone and are in a corporate office. And again, especially through the pandemic and as we're facing this weird, whatever wave we're on and the way that leadership training has been or management training or just, I guess, life (laughs) is that a lot of people in a position of power will be like, let's get through this. Just think positive you got this work from home, productivity, da, 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 da. So give us more examples of that and what's a better approach. Yeah. The examples I was seeing of this during the pandemic through like my clients, friends, and family were just wild of bosses being like, I need you to be smiling on Zoom. You know, you need to have a positive attitude. We're going to get through this together. And that's great, but they're not talking about anything else about how difficult this might be for someone to be at home with their three kids and trying to work a full-time job. So we have to be very cautious as employers with how we talk to our employees and how much we encourage them to keep a positive attitude at, at all costs. The way to not use toxic positivity in the workplace is really just to be like a normal human being with your employees. So that involves like showing genuine interest in their lives and their work, showing empathy when people are struggling, really emphasizing the meaningfulness of the work to make people feel more connected to the mission, and also just encouraging people to talk about their problems and not create a culture where any sort of complaining or negativity is seen as taboo or a reason to get fired. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I just hosted a retreat. I host retreats and we do like, I don't call them rules, but I call them agreements. And as I was thinking about these rules slash agreements that I was creating for the space, I was slightly tempted to put 
no complaining. And then I caught myself and I was like, Mary, that is cultish and weird and not good. (laughs) So instead I created a rule around like, if there's a problem, we talk about it and we go to the person directly and we clear the air and we don't let resentment build up and just more along those lines, as opposed to like, don't say anything at all, which is so funny now that I think about it, because it's actually almost the opposite. Like the rule that I created was almost the opposite of the no complaining rule that I was tempted to write down. And so I like that when it comes to the workplace too, that it's actually just okay to say what's on your mind and what you need support with. Yeah. I love that you brought that up because I think from like a leader's perspective, of course it is so much easier to have a team that doesn't complain, that always seems like things are good. You know, happy people are much easier to manage. But I think it's important to point out that there's a big difference between someone who's complaining about at your retreat, like all the little things that don't matter, you know, and it's just kind of being negative for the sake of being negative versus someone who's really bringing up actual things that might need to be changed or that are a problem or something they feel uncomfortable with. And when we say something like no complaining, it tends to silence people in those areas that are really important. Mm-hmm. Kind of like the difference between like complaining and feedback. Sure. You know, if you're complaining just to complain, then maybe think twice. But if you have like some proposal or something you need changed, or you're asking for support, or you just want to be seen and heard, which is totally okay too, it's probably more productive. And I use that word very carefully, but it's probably more productive for the entire group and collective if you have that clear intention about why you're sharing this, even if it is negative. Exactly. Yeah. And that's one of the main things to focus on when you're complaining to make it effective is like, what's the problem? Who do I need to complain to, to make a certain change? And and what results am I looking for? And when we have those three things in mind, it's much more effective and productive, like you're saying. Last one I wrote down, and this is a really big one. So please approach it however you see fit. Toxic positivity amidst grief. Yeah, I think this is one of the areas where we see this pop up the most and where it can be the most harmful. I've noticed a lot in my time as a therapist that people are very uncomfortable with grief and they want it to end. And that's whether it's happening with them or someone else. And that's unfortunately not the nature of grief. You know, anyone who's listening who's experienced grief, you probably notice that it comes in waves and sometimes it hits harder and lighter and you never really get rid of it. It just kind of sits different with you depending on the day. And so when we use a lot of these toxic positivity phrases with people who are grieving, like they wouldn't want to see you sad or they're in a better place or you need to move on and be happy. We're really telling the person that like, this is a finite experience and it has a beginning and an end. And I would really like if it would end now. So I don't have to hear you talk about this anymore. Hmm, That's so important to remember that it's almost, it's almost like a selfish pursuit to try to fix somebody's problems and make them happy right away. Yeah. And it's a lot of time coming from a good place, right? Of like, I don't want you to suffer. I want you to be happy, but it is also 
selfish in the sense that like your suffering also makes me suffer and it's uncomfortable for me. And so I want both of us to not have to experience that. Mm -hmm. This is why I wish that like more people would do this type of work, whether it's sitting with their feelings in therapy or in meditation or a combination of so many things that are available to us. Because when we can like sit with ourselves in our own pain, then we don't feel the need to fix other people's too. And then we could just be with them there too. And it just makes the world a more compassionate, accepting place. So true. And and often we have to learn to like sit with ourselves before we can sit with other people. I know for me as a therapist, that was so huge that I had to learn to let myself feel hard emotions for a long time to stop trying to fix other people as their therapist and to just sit with them. What do you say to people in times of grief or loss, or even if they're just in like a panic? I think a lot of people are different, are dealing with anxiety in so many different ways. And there's a reason that all of our anxiety is through the roof and it's probably valid (laughs) given the state of the world. (laughs) Like, what do you say to somebody through that? Not just as a therapist, but like a friend, a parent, a Yeah. So I think it's less about what we say and more about like how we're approaching the person. So my favorite thing to do is like, just show that I'm there and being present. And that can be through our words or through like our physical presence. So, you know, I'm here for you. I'm not going anywhere. I can call you at this time. Like there's a lot of different variations depending on the person and the situation, but also asking questions and trying to really create a good understanding about what the person is going through. So often we're really quick to jump into like that fixing or support role without totally getting it. And it can make the other person feel like you're not listening to them. It's also much easier to show empathy and compassion once you have an understanding of what someone's going through and how they feel. I love the just the approach of asking a question, it doesn't necessarily have to be like a question to be answered, right? It could just be like almost rhetorical, just so you, you're you showing them that you're trying to understand. Am I getting that correctly? For sure. For sure. And sometimes it's even just a saying like, wow, that sounds really, really awful. Like what's the hardest part for you? Or mm-hmm. what are you trying to figure out? You know, instead of jumping into like, oh, that's hard. This is what I would do. Here's how you can fix it. Because sometimes when people have the ability just to talk out loud about what they're going through, you could give them no advice, no feedback, but your questions lead them to a place that they were able to get to on their own. And that's what a lot of therapists do, is help guide you without really telling you what to do. Yeah, I learn this actually again my retreat everything is so retreat related because i just come off a retreat but somebody broke their leg at my retreat isn't that wild i saw this on your instagram stories it's crazy <laughs> oh my god it was crazy but also like just brought us closer together and of course in the moment sweet emma was in so much pain and you know a lot of people had different approaches for dealing with that and one of our other retreat sisters was a nurse in a mental health clinic so she was so just good at holding the space for her and one thing that i noticed 
I don't know if it was her specifically or if I just had this thought then or if I'm having it now talking to you, but I'm thinking about how it might even be more helpful to say like, instead of, oh, this sucks so bad, like, I'm so sorry. Instead, like even phrasing it as the slight question of like, that hurts, doesn't it? Tell me about how it hurts, you know, like almost like just acknowledging the pain. And that is something that would help Emma like process and not feel so alone amidst three fractures and being in a foreign country and about to get surgery and all this stuff. I'm thinking about this now because sometimes I think a lot of, well, myself and a lot of our audience, we know about the concept of like validating people's feelings, but the way we kind of do that is almost like, I don't know, just a little dry. Like we'll be like, that sucks. That must've been so hard. (laughs) And it's kind of like, they just end it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And of course, it's probably a little bit better, but I'm just thinking now for myself personally, how we could almost use that, that thing that people hate about women, how we phrase so many things (laughs) as a question, (laughs) that it's, it is your way of connecting. Like it is a powerful communication technique. Yeah, I love this. And I haven't really thought about it in this way. So I appreciate you bringing this up because the best part about what you're saying is that you're not making an assumption about how the other person feels or what is painful for them, but instead sort of floating it as like an option and allowing them to confirm like, yes, that's where it hurts. Almost like when a doctor would touch certain areas and be like, tell me what's most painful. You're doing that kind of inquiry emotionally. Yes. Emotional inquiry. I really, really love that. I'm going to apply to be your intern. (laughs) (laughs) Anytime. Come on over. I did love your chapter titles. And we touched on a few of these, of course, but I just want to like read off the table of contents. I know this is going to sound really weird, but just because I feel like it's so telling of what's in your book and how impactful it'll be for people. So the book is obviously called Toxic Positivity. And it's available everywhere now, right? Yes. Yay. February 1st, officially. Awesome. So the book is called Toxic Positivity and it's available everywhere. So the introduction is called You Deserve More Than Just Good Vibes. And I actually pulled this quote that I loved. It was also on your Instagram. You said, happiness and positivity have become both a goal and an obligation. Yes. And I thought that was just like our society summarized in a nutshell these days. I agree. I'm I'm sure that that statement has just made an impact on, on so many people too when you posted it. In chapter one, the title is called What is Toxic Positivity? Chapter two, Why Positivity Doesn't Always Work? And chapter three, When Positivity Doesn't Help? So that's a lot of what we talked about in this conversation. But these next few chapters is where I feel like it's just the juiciest parts and people just have to read the book. But chapter four is called Stop Shaming Yourself. Chapter five, how to process an emotion. That's something that I'm going to be reading and rereading. Chapter six, how to complain effectively, which we touched on a little bit here. Chapter seven, how to support someone. Chapter eight, a really big one, discrimination with a smile. And chapter nine, how to find fulfillment in a difficult world. So I just really love how I think in this podcast episode, we really talked about the what and the why. And the chapters in your book just really go into like the antidote, as we called it at the beginning. Like, what can we do instead to process emotions for ourselves and be there for someone else who is also processing emotions? Thank you. I I really wanted this book to be 
both like informative and applicable. And I do think a lot of those chapters, especially towards the middle and the end, give people a lot of great strategies that they can start using today if they recognize themselves in this. Yeah, exactly. And thank you so much for writing this book. It is so needed and so timely. Also, I'm sure you've been <laughs> you've been told that a lot, but the release of the beginning of 2022, like just when we thought things were getting better, it's they kind of not. <laughs> so <laughs> I just think it's going to be so helpful to have this book by my side as I go through the year. Thank you so much. I appreciate you having me. Can I end with a selfish question? Sure. What was your favorite and hardest part about writing this book? My favorite part was definitely like just the whole writing process. I love the topic. So I loved researching it and really putting it on paper. The hardest part for me as someone that has worked by themselves for a while was the editing process. And getting feedback and deciding like what to integrate and what to be firm on. Mm, that killed me. When I received that <laughs> first round of edits and it was covered in red, I just got flashbacks to like being in high school and college and just having my paper destroyed with red ink and like all the self-talk coming up. Yep. But the editing process was also the most transformative for me. I don't know if you feel that way. Oh, for sure. And it, it was a good lesson in how powerful feedback can be. And my book, of course, became so much better because of that process. But I was definitely kicking and screaming internally the whole way. <laughs> That's the best way to describe it. And also, there's <laughs> something so special about having someone believe in you that much. And obviously, it's the editor's job. So I give up that, but it's just having somebody that's believing in not just you, but the book and the concept and, and the writing itself that they're going to do everything in their power to make it the best that it can possibly be while also honoring your ideas and your style and like meeting you where you're at. Absolutely. I wish you would have told me that during the editing process because now that's a great reminder of like, they're on your team. They want you to win. If anybody else is <laughs> wanting to write a book, that's a good thing to remember. For real. I was just so deep into my negative self-talk that I was looking for all the podcasts from like authors that talked about this and mm -hmm. all of them said editing. I mean, you're, you're one of many people and myself included that have said that editing has been like the most like humbling <laughs> experience to say the least. For sure. Well, Whitney, thank you so much for being on the show today and sharing your wisdom with us. Is there anything you want our audience to know before we farewell? Oh, I, I had such a great time talking with you. If anyone else would like to connect with me, Instagram is the best place at sit with wit. Otherwise, I hope you all enjoy the book. Thank you so much, Whitney. Can't wait to dive further into toxic positivity and hope and encourage everybody else to pick it up too. Thank you. Bye, everyone. One last thing before we farewell, if you've been enjoying the Mary's Cup of Tea podcast, we would greatly appreciate if you could leave a short review on iTunes slash Apple Podcasts. Your feedback helps the show so, so much. I absolutely love hearing from you. And as somebody whose love language is words of affirmation, your words mean the world to me. Just go to the Apple Podcasts app and scroll all the way down until you see the review section. And from there, you can just tap the star thing and leave your own review. Thank you so much for supporting me and this greater message of self-love for all. 
Also, feel free to send this episode to a friend and spread the gift of self-love. And speaking of the gift of self-love, make sure you pick up my book, which is available in stores and online worldwide. Just head to maryscupofteacom slash book and you'll find all the links to give yourself the gift of self-love. I love you all so, so much and I will talk to you next time. Mwah.